0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Hi guys, Candace here. I'm just going to jump in here as we've been contacted by Magellan Financial Group just to make a few clarifications on the statements I made. So I'm just going to read them out now for us all. Firstly, the Magellan Global Fund is commonly referred to as our Magellan flagship fund. The Magellan Global Fund has operated as an open-ended unit class, MGOC, since 1st of July 2007 and has delivered 11.7% per annum, relative to the benchmark at 7.98%. Secondly, payout ratios are about capital management, not profitability. A company can still pay 90 to 95% of profits regardless of whether its profits is $100 or $1, for example. Thirdly, in regards to fees, I neglected to mention that they also have an MFG core series fund, which that fee is 0.5%, so half a percent in relation to that comment. And fourth and finally, it's a good reminder, all of our content that we talk about on our show, the companies, everything like that, it's all backed by Shoren Partners Research and also UBS because we have a relationship there at Shoren Partners. And so in relation to Magellan, that was not a Magellan forecast, but rather it was Shoren Partners and UBS Research for.
0: Talk money to me.
1: Hello and welcome to Talk Money to Me. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. And this is the Need to Know Wealth podcast where we make the complex simple. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. So we're back once again with our Autopad episode and we're going to just jump straight into it, straight into the pool because we're coming off the high from last week's episode with Grant Hackett. Now, before we do that though, you guessed it, here comes our quick financial disclaimer. So our chat today is not personal advice. Even though we are registered financial advisors at Shrine Partners, please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. The content on this podcast is general in nature and you should seek appropriate professional advice before making any financial decisions. That's right. In fact, all companies discussed
2: on our show are offered in good faith based on the facts known at the time and do not contain all relevant information in respect of the financial products to which they they relate. So we're halfway through reporting season with 63% of the ASX market having now reported. So a skew towards strength is showing through with the median company beating consensus at the half yearly NPAT line by 0.8%. Now this has allowed beats to outnumber misses by a ratio of 4 to 3. Pretty good. You know, that's an impressive showing given that the Omicron hit the economy has taken over the recent years. Now, that said, this coming week could see a less rosy picture emerge as more domestic and consumer exposed stocks release results. So, basically, what that means is we've had more beats than misses, which is very good, right? So, that's showing a little bit more strength. However, We've got more reports coming up and this is more more in the domestic consumer exposed stocks, e-commerce, which we could see more
1: shocks. And the unspoken truth about the ASX market is that generally the – more misses are reported later at the latter half of the reporting season. So we'll see what happens in the next few weeks to come. Because I guess market expectations and and I guess all around earnings have actually been revised up, you know, from the profit guidance, which has been seen through the market beats that we've seen. So FY22 earnings growth estimate for the S&P ASX 200 is actually pushed up by 0.5, so half a percent over the last three weeks to now 13.6%. So this strength has really led by the upward revisions, like Felicity was saying, but mainly through, you know, the industries like financials and energy stocks.
2: And by contrast to that, stocks in healthcare actually have suffered broad-based earnings downgrades. Which is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, right. Now, with rates, oil prices and geopolitics, buffeting market prices over recent weeks. Volatility is extreme right now. I mean, the mining earnings boost has facilitated a somewhat unexpected derating in the market's PE multiple down to 16.6 times. So it's now sitting a touch below its five year average.
1: Yeah, because the PE multiple is normally kind of around the 20 to 25 mark. Correct. And I think it's interesting that we both say, said the same comment, you know, healthcare in a pandemic, why are those companies doing bad? Also healthcare is a good hedge normally when markets are down, so we are. I know. I know everyone says it, but we are really in this uncharted waters. So we spoke about it last time, and I think the reasons why we're in the uncharted territory is because of the supply chain concerns. That's really dominating reporting season. So over the last week, we've been busy, you know, listening to the reports of Ansell, Breville, car sales, Nimap, Orica, Tassel, the fishing um, salmon company, Treasury Wine, well-known wine company. They've all been talking about the same problem supply chain issues, and that's been negatively impacting all of their operations and the future outlook. So to counter this, companies have been keen to highlight how they're strategically looking forward um, to building out their inventory, which will allow them, you know, to hopefully deal with these roadmaps in the future, because maybe we'll have more lockdowns, who knows, hopefully not, touch wood. And interestingly, UBS, which we have research um, coverage at Shoren Partners, Their global economics team have actually cited that they believe the inflation bottlenecks are now starting to ease. So we're going to watch this space really closely and keep you updated, guys. Hopefully the analysts are correct on this prediction.
2: Yeah, that is good to hear and I hope they are as well. All right, Candice, so you're actually going to add our very first sell
1: onto the order pad. Yeah, I know. It doesn't get more exciting than that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Woo, this is exciting. <laughs> so that's right. It's a sell for me today for the order pad. And it's not actually a stock we've ever spoken about in our um, podcast before. And it's not a stock we hold in the order pad.
2: Very suspenseful. What is your sell recommendation?
1: So the business I think is a sell is Magellan Financial Group. The ticket on the ASX is MFG. Market cap of four billion, so big company, diversified financials, and it falls within the top ASX 100. So for any of you that are listening who aren't maybe familiar with the name, Magellan Financial Group is a Sydney-based fund manager responsible for the management of institutional wholesale and retail funds, so investors like you and me, in mainly global equities and listed in infrastructure strategies. So they're not stock pickers of the Aussie market, but their fund is listed on the Aussie market. Now, Hamish um, Douglas has been labelled in the past as the Warren Buffett down under. And he's really been the main driver seat of Magellan since 2006. 30% of their $45 billion funds under management, you know, they're a big player in the, in the fund business, has actually been sourced through retail channels. So regular investors buying on the ASX. And the balance is actually institutional mandates. So, you know, large pension funds, for example, right? And Magellan IPO'd back in 2012. And the company's been one of Australia's fastest growing managers since inception. So that sounds all really well and good. But I mean, what's gone wrong? You know, why is this now a sell? Well, as you know, in the funds management business, it's really all about your inflows. So how much more new investors you're attracting or existing but topping up and your outflows how many investors are leaving your funds and for what reasons. And that's how the market really measures success in these funds in these diversified financial businesses. So for MFG, the net outflows remained, you know, really elevated in our opinion and combining with them defending their high fees, I think this just makes for a tough environment going forward.
2: Yeah, and I think what also um, is important to note is their performance fee, right? And, you know, historically Magellan did outperform, but the last couple of years he hasn't actually outperformed. He's been fairly defensive.
1: And we'll go into that because I think that's definitely a key point to reasons why I think it's a cautionary sell at the moment. And I think because if you pack out all the recent report, the key message that MFG were portraying was it's going to refocus on its core funds management business, that's good, with an indefinite end to the further investment in Magellan Capital Partners They also declared a monster dividend of $1.10, partially franked, because obviously we're investing offshore, so you can't get the full 100% frank there. And that's in a range of 90 to 95% payout ratio for the business profit after tax. Plus, everyone loves when a fund manager, they're going to buy back the shares, which also naturally also does push up the share price. In theory, it should. So overall, the report was okay, And we did see the share price jump 18% on the day of reporting, which was uh, Friday the 18th of Feb. However, here's the catalyst, I think. Magellan has remained steadfast in defending its high fee retail fees. So that was your point, Felicity. Mm. Which we think this could actually prove long-term strategic as a misstep to what would be otherwise a circuit breaker.
2: Okay, and so just to clarify, when you say they have high fees, what fees are you referring to?
1: Yeah, so across their, um, I think there's about six or seven now, funds within Magellan, the fee ranges from about 1.35% per annum to about 1.5% per annum. In the world that we live in where we're always driving costs down in funds management businesses, that's quite high. Versus a good comparison might be the WAM Capital. They, you know, kind of range in a fee of 1% to 1.25%. And their global fund, which is super similar to the Magellan products, is sitting around 1.25%. And of course, if you compare that to ETFs, fundies are more expensive. You know, the typical fees for ETFs sit around 05 to 0.85% for passive funds. And obviously, you're going to pay a little bit more if you're expecting a more active ETF. That's more like 1%. Yeah. And
2: the performance fees is right as
1: well. Yeah, it was a 20% performance fee. Yeah. So parking the fees to one side, there's other risks that I see at the moment. So earnings are forecast to decline by an average of 6.7% per year for the next 3 years. Although on paper value the dividend of 10.27% seems super attractive, it's not well covered by these earnings and therefore not sustainable. Profit margins continue to decline. They reported 39.9%, let's round it up to 40, versus prior years of 60%. And also addressing the elephant in the room, the recent turnover and reshuffle of the board, CEO, C-suites, Hamish stepping down as chairman and MD for health reasons. Look, investors don't like those announcements. And unfortunately, when there's bad news, there's always bad news to follow. And the stock actually fell Twelve to thirteen percent that day on the on the back of that announcement to an all time low of sixteen dollars fourteen. So unfortunately, yeah, these factors contribute to tough times ahead for the Magellan share price.
2: Yeah, I think there has been a lot of instability, right? And no one likes instability. No. Um, yeah, you also mentioned possible outflows due to retail investors and that are not happy with the fund's recent performance. Could you elaborate a little bit further on that one?
1: So since inception, the return has been ten point four five percent. Sounds good. But whenever you compare it to a benchmark, he didn't outswim the first swimmer there because it, the benchmark performed twenty one point three five percent. And the fund that's a tough that's a tough benchmark, right? The fund is aiming for the stars, and and that's mainly a growth um, returns that they're they're looking for. So they're on paper aiming to strive for nine percent net of fees over the economic cycle. I mentioned earlier WAM, it's always good to compare these performances to others. So the WAM Global Fund, its running performance since inception has been 11.1% and it's actually generated an alpha beating the benchmark of 1.5%.
2: So look, given your sell preference, what do you think the share price could potentially drop to?
1: So looking in hindsight, not, not that that's a prediction, but it's important to note in the last six months, the share price has effectively halved from its levels around $40 now trading around $21.50 per share. So I think the downwards pressure will continue to hang around for the short term for those reasons mentioned earlier, and we have a valuation of it reaching $17 as fair value. Hence, I'm not a buyer at these levels, and I'd rather be taking profits if that's applicable, based on your cost base, or waiting for the share price to come off, like it did with the Hamish announcement. 16 bucks. If you had to bought then, you're up sort of 30% already in the short term. Great, happy days but I'm not a buyer until we get to those levels.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: (laughs) Now, before we hear the next segment in our order pad from Felicity, which I believe is a buy, we're just going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors.
0: Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: So we're back. And what stock are you bringing to the order pad this week, Felicity? So I actually thought I'm
2: going to counter your sell uh, with a buy of a diversified financial manager. So my idea today is Pinnacle Investment Management. Now the code is PNI on the ASX. The 52-week range has been between $8.62 and $18.93. Now it's currently trading around the $10.70, $11 mark. The market cap is $2 billion, so it's actually a bit bigger than my usual picks, and also provides a dividend yield of 3.5%.
1: Wow, this is like so unheard of for you. <laughs> where's, was, where's the growth? It really where's is. Where's the future earnings? Uh, that's it. <laughs> Negative earnings. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so makes money, good, pays a dividend, love it, that's and it. it's a pretty big but diversified financials. Yeah,
2: that's it. Diversified financial, which is where you kind of want to be at this point in time. So Pinnacle is actually a multi-affiliate with minority equity stakes in 16 different investment management boutiques for which it provides global distribution and support services. So the aggregate of firm of is about 93.6 billion, with PI's effective share of 36.4 billion. So they own quite a large uh, part of the aggregate farm of all of these managers. Now, you would have heard a lot of these names that are actually under their umbrella, but maybe not know that they're a part of Pinnacle. So, a few of my favorites and the largest by FUM, which is Funds Under Management, in the credit space is actually Metrics with 23%, bar Capital, 35%, and Plato Income Maximizer, 42%. In the equity space, you've got one of our favorites, Hyperion, and they actually own 49.9% of that. You've got Antipodes, 23%, Fiatra. 23%, as well as Safira, which is their micro to small cap manager. So a lot of really, really great household names there, really.
1: Yeah, and we are definitely familiar with these names, um, and you might be as well, because particularly in the equity space, their funds have really outperformed lately, so they're getting a lot of press on that, which is great. Well, that's
2: it. Hyperion has continuously outperformed for the last 10 years, but I think we are getting into a tricky time now, right, where their hyper growth may not be um, as favourable. We shall see now. Their affiliates have a huge product suite across a variety of different investment options and classes as well as different investment vehicles. So think unlisted managed funds, ETFs, you know, your listed investment companies, so your LICs and your listed investment trusts, so your LITs. However, the reason I've actually chosen this for our order pad is its three pillar horizon strategy it provides a multiple avenues for long-term growth with a 14% per annum earnings outlook for FY22 to FY25, um, which I think is organic. Driven. You know, we believe that PI is improving diversification. Some affiliates are cycling strong performance against a more turbulent backdrop for growth equities. And management has pointed to significant offshore opportunities. So there's about 135 million of dry powder, which could actually transform PI into an all weather global multi affiliate with reduced earnings volatility and improved resilience. So I think that PI has the ability for this substantial organic growth runway with operating leverage. In particular, like I said, because of the fact that it's diversified, right? Unlike Magellan, that just focus on global growth, P&I has its, you know, toes in all different honeypots.
1: And also offers different investors, different products, ETFs, unlisted managed funds, so they can be diversified in their performances, their fees. And different strategies, right? Value,
2: growth, income, they've got a little bit of all.
1: And when you say dry powder of $135 million, that's purely meaning ammunition for more potential M&A in the future to buy into more stakes of businesses.
2: And that's what I was going to go through a little bit later. They're actually growth strategies to buy smaller funds as well as seed new funds, which is pretty exciting, which you would have seen with Firetrail, um, that smaller uh, ex-Macquarie fund.
1: Okay, so that's all interesting and makes sense. But explain to us, I guess, how the funds business is going to grow. Because we know that's how these businesses are measured in success, right?
2: That's it. So look, the existing capabilities can support farm of three times the current aggregate farm. So like I said earlier, it's almost 94 billion. Now this may not all materialize, however, even with a modest conversion of 20% of capacity headroom, it adds 50% profit upside. So we believe that PI's proven ability on execution and distribution suggests the potential for multi-year above average net inflows. So you mentioned inflows were important. We think PI is going to have those inflows. And that's going to be about 8% per annum up to FY25. So rather other than your negative, I think you were negative, uh, this is positive, right?
1: Yeah, so that's a tick. That's interesting, very much so.
2: Yeah, it is. And they're also recycling institutional capacity into higher margin retail. So that can actually help insulate the revenue margin pressures. This combination actually results in operating leverage at the affiliate level, where aggregate cost to income ratios can reduce further. So what I mean by that is currently, if you actually look at their allocations, they've got 69.8 billion in institutional versus 23.8 billion in retail. And what they're actually gonna look at doing is getting more into retail.
1: Yeah, because obviously, we saw with the Magellan announcement, if you underperform and you lose an insto client, that could be thirty percent of your overall revenue, right? They're a big client, you don't want to piss it off. So the more diversified in your book and I guess optimal 50-50 in stow and retail is is a good number, but we don't run funds management, so I just kind of thought that's a good balance.
2: (laughs) Well, that's it, right? And like we know in retail, retail pay higher fees as well. So what I'm trying to say here is there's potential for an increase in fees when they distribute. More over to the retail side. Exactly, exactly.
1: Okay. So the fee is important and, and I guess the performance fee potential, what about that side of things?
2: Right, so P and I has material exposure to performance fee fund, so about thirty one billion, which is thirty three percent across eighteen strategies. So, the relevance of the performance fees is actually increasing, as. Retail becomes a larger part of the fund mix. So, you know, generally managers do charge about twenty percent performance fees. Um, you know, performance fees are actually normally considered volatile and non-reoccurring revenue uh, through different
1: cycles because they have they have to hit the benchmark.
2: Well, exactly, and not something that you'd rely on. But they're actually expecting it to be about thirty percent of their overall fund, which is kind of interesting. So, our bottom-up fund level modelling suggests a normalised two percent alpha. Uh, which equates to performance fees revenue of 70 million per annum over the next three years to FY25, uh, versus consensus of about 100 mil per annum. So, you know, our UBS uh, price target and uh, I guess modeling is a little bit lower than consensus, um, but we'll go down through that a little bit later.
1: So I guess like all things with forecasts, we need to wait and see to see if they can deliver on these expectations over the next three years, right?
2: Yeah, and I think at current levels, the stock is pricing in no actual value for the performance fees. Well,
1: that's good. Yeah, like
2: a little bit of a cherry on top, you know, just look at Hyperion in 2021. The performance fees were $20.4 as they absolutely knocked it out of the park. You know, so hopefully it might not be Piperian, but it might be, you know, more of the credit managers.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like as inflationary talks, the geopolitical concerns, do we go more defensive as a fundy? You know, um, I think that's really interesting. And they did smash it out of the park in 2021. Let's see how they deliver in 2022.
2: It's going to be a tricky year, but yeah, they are really great managers with a lot of experience. Now, to summarise why I believe this is a buy, where, you know, we are really attracted to the P&I multi-affiliate business model and prospects to drive long-term earnings growth via its horizon strategy. So one, there's organically significant capacity and operating leverage from existing strategies. Two, they're seeding new boutiques, and three, they're acquiring established boutiques. Now, future acquisitions have the potential to diversify even further the business and add to earnings resilience from cycling factors due to no real style in asset class.
1: Yeah, diverse range. That's it. All right, so I guess in summary really, P&I way more diverse across more asset classes in the options that they provide so that that means products right ETFs through to unlisted to listed licks um, versus Magellan is sort of your one stop shop for the global equities side so let's talk about Price targets and upsides and all the fun stuff that you think PI will get to?
2: Yeah, so look, it's a buy for PI. You know, it trades on 24.4 times FY23PE with 14% per random earnings growth outlook. The risk to this recommendation would be sustained equity market downturn. Obviously, none of us want that, or a credit cycle. So consensus price target is 15.61 with upside of 45.7% from current prices. And UBS is a little bit more conservative, like I said earlier with a $14 price
1: target. Alrighty, so that's the order pad for another week. We hope you enjoyed it. Send us your thoughts, comments, feedback on any stocks that you're currently watching because we'd love to hear what you're liking or not liking at the market in the moment. Don't be afraid to reach out to us through our social media channels. Not just Aussie Stocks, but at Global. We're afraid of nothing here at Talk Money To Me. So before we sign off, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shorn Partners, as always, the discussion today does not constitute as financial advice or personal advice. As always, reach out to a professional financial advisor before making your financial decisions. Yeah, that's
2: right. And look, what we probably will do, and we've had some questions come through about particular stocks, we may actually have listener stocks and, and kind of give our thoughts on it in the Need to Know episodes to um make a little bit more juicy for you. So feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email, which is displayed in the show notes below make sure you follow us on at talk money to me podcast for daily market updates until next time.
1: See you guys.
3: Talk money to me is a product of equity mates media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only equity mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of talk money to me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity meets media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the corporations act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given before making any financial decisions. You should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.